Pope Francis intends to name women to the Vatican office that decides who becomes our next bishops. We'll talk about that, as well as the new bishop appointment in Detroit, interestingly enough. Even though he's the auxiliary bishop, he's still known as archbishop. Hmm. And I'll do a follow-up on Desidero Desidavi. And last but not least, we're going to talk a little bit about Eucharistic adoration in the Catholic Church. What is it and how to practice it? Hey, I'm Corey Tucholsky, and I am a Catholic revert. Welcome to Back Rome Again. Catholic news and views from the point of view of a Catholic revert, me. Well, before we get started on the show, I'd like to welcome a new sponsor, The Catholic Company. Catholic Company sells pretty much everything you could possibly imagine for being Catholics. Rosary, books, home goods, gifts, jewelry, things for kids. They have bestseller, or check their best-selling tab for the top 100 Catholic gift ideas. Everything you could possibly want in a one-stop website. The Catholic Company. Check them out. I have uh, check them out on my website, CoreyTahulski.com slash Catholic dash company. That's CoreyTahulski.com slash Catholic Company for more information. Alright, I want to talk about this just because I found this fascinating. There is a new auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of Detroit, which is rather close to me, and I wanted to talk about it because it's it's interesting because normally an archbishop or normally even in an archdiocese a auxiliary bishop is known as bishop and addressed as bishop but the new auxiliary bishop here in Detroit is addressed as archbishop and I had wondered why that was at first and I didn't think that my own bishop here in Toledo, Ohio, got it wrong when he made the announcement on his Facebook page. I just wanted to look up why an auxiliary bishop was known as archbishop. And the answer is simple. If you have held a post that would address you as archbishop, even when you take essentially a step backwards or a step down, as a, uh, as a member of the College of Bishops, you are still entitled to the Archbishop mode of address. Archbishop Russell, the new Auxiliary Bishop of Detroit's prior post was in uh, was Apostolic Nuncio to the country of Turkey. An Apostolic Nuncio is the diplomatic envoy from the Vatican who brings all the messages from the Holy Father to the particular country in which they are assigned. That person is always an Archbishop. Since he held that post prior to being the Auxiliary Bishop of Detroit, even though he's taking kind of a step backwards in becoming an Auxiliary Bishop and not, uh, you know, an and not the ordinary of a diocese, he is still entitled to the address of Archbishop. Now, I don't know if anyone found that interesting, but I always find these little like quirks of of Catholic canon law and and uh, modes of address of uh, clergy interesting. So I thought I would share it with everyone and give a chance to congratulate. Archbishop Russell on his new post 
Talking about Archbishop Russell leads me to one of the bigger news stories of this week in Catholic news is the is Pope Francis announcing that two women will be appointed to the Vatican's dicastery for the selection of bishops. So this will actually expand the role that women have held in the Vatican under this current pontiff. He, of course, has appointed... Uh, Sister Raffaella Petrini to the Office of Secretary General of the Government, which is one of the top positions. He named Francesca Di, uh, Di Giovanni as Undersecretary for the Multilateral Sector of the Secretariat of State's Section for Relations with States and International Organizations in January of 2020. I dare you to say that title five times fast. Pope Francis is also, uh, or uh, has also appointed Sister Natalie uh, Bacart, a French member of the uh, Xavier Missionary Sisters as Undersecretary for the Synod of Bishops, Sister Alessandra Smurley of the Daughters of Mary as Undersecretary of the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development. Sister Carmen Rose Notos serves as Undersecretary of the Dicastery for Institutes of Consecrated Life and the Societies of Apostolic Life. So, he's appointed several religious sisters and a few lay women, including Barbara Jada, Linda Gizzoni, and Gabriella Gambino, who are both Undersecretaries of the Dicastery of the Laity and Family Life, and Emelise. Emelise? Emelise? Emelise Cuda, the Secretary for the Pontifical Commissions for Latin America. So, this continues Pope Francis's move towards inclusion and listening, which was the whole point of the Synod on Synods in the first place uh, that he held, was it now two years ago, for that. And I personally think this is a great idea and a great move forward. As a church, as a, on a whole, I think one of the biggest complaints of the Catholic Church is that they don't listen to their members. They don't listen to the people that are part of the Catholic Church. And Pope Francis has really tried, especially in the recent few years, to really move forward on listening to us and listening to the laity. I, the new apostolic constitution that he issued recently, I have yet to take a look at that. I need to take a look at that sometime, where he talks about potentially promoting lay people into Vatican positions. And then, of course, we've seen a sweep of women go through and get different Vatican, or different high up Vatican posts in more recent times. And now, with this uh, recent bit of news from just a couple days ago, we see that two uh, women are going to help select the bishops of the future. So I think the Catholic Church is on the right track. I'm sure there's people who disagree with me, but this is some good stuff that we're seeing from Pope Francis and really hope to see more. On that note, I will mention that he has men, uh, that he has talked to and reassured the bishops of the world that he has no plans to resign despite much speculation. Even I thought he was going to resign. Uh, there was a lot of things... Uh, that were kind of pointing toward it. He's revamped the uh, Roman Curia with that last apostolic constitution. That was something that he had set out to do. He's given us uh, just a tremendous uh, symbolic example to follow for his leadership. And 
you know, I think that he, and of course, you know, his health, his ongoing health issues, and he visited the tomb of the Pope, the first Pope to ever voluntarily resign, was just something that his predecessor had done just prior to his own resignation. So I think it was safe to think that Pope Francis was cons- at least considering resigning, as well as holding the consistory for new cardinals sooner than he usually does. But he has assured the world's bishops that he's not going anywhere and that his health is beginning to improve. So I think that's really good news. And again, I really hope to see more from Pope Francis in the future. I really like the direction that he is taking the church. One of the greatest Catholic websites out there that you could possibly visit is Tan Books. I love Tan Books. They have a lot of great selections and a lot of great stuff that you can go look at. Not only do they have the books, but they also have Tan Direction, which is a series of blogs that you can look at. You can look at Tan Academy, which has their bookstore. They have curriculum. Uh, They have curricula, other resources, uh, so forth, that you can look at for educating children, forming your family. So that way, if maybe you're still kind of new to your own faith or you feel like maybe you weren't catechized very well, you can take uh, you can look at some official Catholic material that will help you with that. will help you teach your kids. You can look at tan courses, which is uh, advertised as liberal arts without liberal agendas. And the pursuit of truth, which is guided by the intellectual tradition of the Catholic Church. You can look at scripture, philosophy, theology, literature, and history. And I would recommend looking uh, at all of those. Uh, at all of those, but I also, of course, have several tan books in my own library. Most especially the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which I mentioned on the very first program. So, if you want to check out tan books, look at my website. CoreyTaholsky.com slash tan for details. That's CoreyTaholsky.com slash T-A-N for details. So last week I talked about Pope Francis's new letter, Desiderio Desidarvi. And I'm probably saying that wrong again because I cannot be bothered to do research prior to episodes. Um, I'm going to do a follow-up here on a June 30th interview in the National Catholic Register with Monsignor Gerald O'Connor, who is the director of the Office of Worship for the uh, for the Archdiocese of Portland, Oregon. That archdiocese has helpfully, in 2018, put together a um, Archdiocesan Liturgical Handbook, or ALH, which is used for all of the liturgical questions that any person might have. Now, um, our, our Monsignor O'Connor uh, was speaking to the Catholic Register on the uh, on the handbook itself and how it ties into Desiderio Desidavi. Archbishop Sample, or at the time he wrote the uh, ALH, has stated, and I quote, This is not me writing new rubrics for the Mass. This is a reference book for how the liturgy should be executed at this time. This is what the Church teaches and expects, end quote. Monsignor O'Connor says that people are usually unsure about certain aspects of the liturgy, and I think that a lot of us kind of share that, especially someone who's a Catholic revert like myself, because the liturgy has changed since I uh, used to attend all the time in the 80s. And, you know, it's, it would be kind of interesting to have something like this handbook available. 
So I'll put a link to the handbook as well as the National Catholic Register story in the show notes so that anyone who's interested can take a look at it. All right, Monsignor O'Connor says that the Church teaches us the Holy Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. I have said that before on the show here, and I've said that elsewhere on my TikTok page, that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith, and the celebration of the Mass needs to be done with reverence, with respect, and uh, and under certain rules. Uh, and Monsignor O'Connor echoes that in his uh, in there and primarily says that the ALH they've put out in 2018 was focused on the celebration of the Holy Eucharist. The new apostolic letter, uh, letter which was released June 29th, the register asks uh, Monsignor O'Connor about that, and he says there's nothing new in it. It's reiterating what the Church has taught consistently for the last 60 years since the Vatican Council. And the Church... I quote, expects the liturgy to be celebrated with reverence and dignity and the liturgical principles and rule bricks established by the council are to be followed at all times. The letter, if you actually read the letter, and I recommend highly, highly that you take a look at the letter, it does state very clearly that there are certain rubrics, certain uh, actions that need to be taken at specific times. There is no room for experimentation. We're not trying to discover the liturgy as we go along. The liturgy is as written, and it should be followed, without exception. And that contributes, of course, to the mystery and to the wonder that the liturgy should entail. The article goes on to talk about falling mass attendance. Church attendance has fallen 65 uh, to 65 to 70 percent of its pre-pandemic levels, according to... Uh, no citation on that source, but that's uh, Monsignor O'Connor talking. Uh, of course, this affects the financial aspects. Um, but COVID, says the Monsignor, quote, also revealed a certain lack of belief in church doctrine about the Blessed Sacrament. You can see that with some of the aberrations exposed on Zoom masses and from reports of hosts consecrated in Dixie Cups, Consecrated hosts put it in plastic bags and left on people's doorsteps to avoid transmitting the coronavirus. We have gotten to the point where we either don't believe in the real presence or simply treat the Lord with an irreverence that is sinful, sacrilegious, and needs to stop. I want to comment on that. First of all, I would love it if anyone out there listening has seen a blog post or an article, a picture, anything on some of these sacrilegious things that have taken place. I would love to see them. I would love to see sources for that. I'm not saying they didn't happen. I'm just saying that I hear stories about them all the time, and I would actually really, really love to see where these are actually taking place at and who is doing them and why. This would you know, be maybe fuel for future podcasts, or I could do TikToks on them. I have an incredible reverence for the Eucharist. That is one of my one of the biggest reasons I returned to the Catholic Church in the first place is the reality of the real presence and the reality of the Eucharist. And it bothers me to no end to know there was a, a poll that was done in recent times that said you that only 30% of Catholics believed in the real presence of the Eucharist. And that's very sad to me because this is one of the main reasons. This is probably maybe the biggest reason I return to the Catholic Church is the fact that the Eucharist is real in the Catholic Church. 
There is no symbolism to the Eucharist. It is the literal body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I've mentioned a few times on the podcast already. And to feel, to see that people, or to hear that people were putting, you know, hosts in plastic bags to just deliver like a DoorDash order on someone's doorstep is just really disturbing to me. And I agree with the sentiment that we have gotten to the point where we either don't believe it which the polls suggest is a point where we don't believe it, and then the ones that do treat our Lord with less respect than you would treat, uh, you know, a, 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 an order that you had door dashed to your home. Let's get to the Monsignor's practical steps. What should be at the center of any post-COVID parish reboot? He says good liturgy, the fundamental doctrines of the Eucharist, the effort should affect all the practical things we do. I agree with pastors needing to preach on what Catholics believe about the Eucharist. As I've already stated, only 30% of Catholics believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. That's tragic. This is something that should be preached on all the time. We should really talk about what the real presence means. We should talk about transubstantiation, even though it's an incredibly complex philosophical topic. And get past um, what he calls Jesus loves you homilies. Um, and I think the Bible talks about that in the book of Hebrews. We're giving you milk when you should be on solid food. Uh, people don't get anything out of feel-good homilies. So we should talk about, as Catholics, we should talk more about our fundamentals, about what we believe. I was hoping as a father or as a Monsignor O'Connor went on in this article that he would actually cite some sources for this, but he just says that in his capacity of director of worship, quote, I received letters about people not using the right mass translations or the correct rubrics. Innovations are introduced at the whim of the priest or the liturgy committee. That will happen until people understand that the liturgy is super important. It should be executed the way the church wants it to be. Her teaching is the culmination of 2,000 years of experience with what good liturgy should look like. End quote. Again, I really wish we could get some sources for this. I'd love to be able to examine some of these, these uh, um, sacrilegious things that happened to the Eucharist, and that would be you know great to see some of this, but it's just mentioned in passing— and he just talks about it. So I'm putting the appeal out there, guys. If you've heard, if you know where I can get a source on some of this stuff, I would love to take a look at it. So please email me, again at gmail.com. Let me know. I would love to examine some of these things. And then he goes on to talk about a Eucharist-centered parish. And that's one of the things I like about my own parish, Little Flower Parish in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, we've always had a Eucharist, or at least the time I've been going there for the last three years, we've always had weekly Eucharistic adoration available on Wednesdays all day long after the 815 Mass goes all the way through until we have a holy hour for life at 6 p.m., which is praying a rosary for the uh, unborn. And then you have... Uh, I know so, uh, some of the other parishes around town will have 24-7 Eucharistic adoration. I've gone to St. Joe's and Maumee a few times at their chapel. And absolutely, uh, as I've said, I absolutely love the Eucharist, and I think that it's the you know probably the best part about being Catholic is that this is the real body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ found in under the species of bread and wine that you can consume. 
and this is Jesus, you know, essentially living with you, coming into you and living with you. And I think everyone should have a centered, you know, everyone should have an experience of centered on the Eucharist. And that's actually church teaching source and summit of our faith. And there is, I will say, there is some kind of uh, picky little things, and I don't know if we're necessarily going to want to get into everything here, like suffering through bad liturgical music. Now, he brings up an interesting point in the uh, talking about bad liturgical music. Now, I think a lot of people maybe don't know this, but there is in the uh, Missal, uh, there is, uh, of course, a layout of what masses we or what readings are going to go at each mass, but along with those is an antiphon. So if you have bad music or you don't have a liturgical director or the like, you can actually recite or chant an entrance antiphon, and you don't need somebody who is a good singer or who can put together a good music program in order to do this. We would be going into the 15th Sunday of Ordinary Time here in year C. The theme is a Christian love guided by faith for today's ma- uh, for the upcoming mass on Sunday. And the entrance antiphon is Psalm 17 uh, verse 15. As for me, in justice I shall behold your face. I shall be filled with the vision of your glory. And so if you don't have a musical program at your church, you can use these entrance antiphons instead of an opening hymn. And Monsignor O'Connor points that out in the article, and I think it's worth noting that those are in the the church missiles and that they could be used if, for example, you don't have um, a musical director. I think this is actually a worthwhile quote mentioning. Uh, Marin Senior O'Connor says, "The church, I quote, the church teaches that everything, including good works and charitable apostolates, flows from the Eucharist. If we get that right, everything else falls into place. Again, source, summit. Everything flows from the Eucharist. Everything flows, everything flows from the Eucharist toward the Eucharist. If we get that part right, then everything else that's going to be, everything else is just going to fall right into place for us. Parish-based Eucharistic adoration, uh, according to Monsignor O'Connor, quote, deepens the faith of all those involved. A large adoration program can mean that many of the faithful spend an hour in Eucharistic adoration each week or even more often. Having so many parishioners praying like this changes the parish in all sorts of ways. End quote. That's beautiful. I heard when, starting back at Little Flower, um, you know, I'll, you know, three, four years ago now, one of the first things the deacon had said uh, early on in, in my experience was that a rich Eucharistic adoration program is tied with an incredibly close-knit parish family. I cannot emphasize how close my own parish family is at Little Flower and how everyone is so welcoming and so wonderful, and that ties directly to having the robust Eucharistic adoration program that we do have, to have that weekly adoration, and for people to attend it, and for people to pray in front of Jesus during Eucharistic adoration. It just, it's a profound change to a parish. Any parish that does this really, really benefits. 
So we're going to go ahead and wrap that article up and that uh, yeah, I think that is a worthwhile read if you go through the entire thing. Check it out. Uh, I will put a link into the show notes. Catechism seems to be a real problem that continues to plague the church. Where can you get resources on that? Didn't I already mention some in tan books? I did, and then there are some other ones geared specifically towards kids, thanks to St. Anne's Helpers. Check them out on my website, coreytoholsky.com slash St. S-T-Anne's, A-N-N-E-S. You'll find they have plenty of resources for CCD classes, home study, and catechists of all natures. They also have audio catechisms available for you to download and listen to. Once again, you can find them on my website at coreytoholsky.com slash S-T-A-N-N-E-S. I had a tough time deciding what devotion that I wanted to talk about here. Because I usually do some news, and then I've closed with a devotion that brings me closer to Jesus. A devotion that I would hope all of you would like to try sometime. And I guess the best one to do for this show would be Eucharistic Adoration. We've talked about the Eucharist the last two episodes, including this one. We've talked about the Eucharist as the source and summit of our faith. I mentioned it in my testimony as one of the main reasons why I returned to the Catholic Church and reiterated that in this piece. And I analyzed an entire news article about how the liturgy is should be centered to the church life and how Eucharistic Adoration-centered parishes are should be the norm. It should be a no-brainer, since I've never talked about Eucharistic Adoration as a devotion on my TikTok page, nor have I talked about it here. And so, therefore, I've chosen to talk about Eucharistic Adoration on this program. So, Eucharistic Adoration starts from the concept that I've repeated over and over and over again, that the after consecration, that wafer of bread is no longer just a wafer of bread but it has the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is done through what's called transubstantiation. This is a really complicated philosophical idea. I kind of sympathize with the Orthodox who do not or choose not to uh, attempt to explain this as anything other than a mystery. Even in my Protestant days, I never ceased believing in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, and always, when receiving, even in a Protestant church, tried to keep the reverence in mind that this is body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Even though that is a minority position in Protestant churches, most believe that it is a symbol of Jesus's body and blood, that it is done in remembrance of him, that it is not really, that it's not anything real. And again, as I said, that's one of the things that drew me back into the Catholic Church. Because in the Catholic Church, we believe and preach that it is really Jesus there. Now, once you believe that it's really there through transubstantiation, or because it's just a mystery, as the Orthodox say, or a consubstantiation, as the Lutherans say, regardless, once you believe that that is Jesus in the form of that bread it becomes very natural then to worship it. And again, you're not worshiping a an idol. You are worshiping Jesus because that bread 
is Jesus? And how does this look? Well, most Catholic churches place the Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament, inside what's uh, an item called a monstrance. It is a gold, looks like a sunburst. In the middle is a small hole. The bread is placed inside a container uh, within that hole and then is exposed on the altar for all to come in at their leisure and spend some time there. My own church advertises it as spend some time learning at the feet of the master. And I always like that because we are sitting then at the foot of the altar. We are sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament or we're kneeling in front of the Blessed Sacrament. There's no actual prescribed posture, by the way, for how you do this. You just, whatever makes you feel like you're more reverent. I know I watch people come into Eucharistic adoration, uh, the kids during, you know, from uh, from a classroom or other adults. And if you're familiar with Catholic Church, obviously you'd understand that you genuflect down to one knee and cross yourself before you enter a pew. During Eucharistic adoration, I watch the kids, the teachers, and even some adults drop to two knees for Eucharistic adoration. I have seen people go all out, not only drop to two knees, but also bend down and place their face to the floor for Eucharistic adoration. I am unaware that there is a specific posture you're supposed to adopt or that you're specifically supposed to do that during Eucharistic adoration. However, whatever makes you, the worshiper, feel like you are reverently worshiping Jesus himself. Remember, you're in the presence of Jesus himself in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. So adopt whatever you feel would you would do in the real presence of Jesus himself, if you were faced with Jesus himself. If that means you would drop to the floor face down, then do that. If you would hit one knee and cross yourself, do that. I would probably do the one knee and cross myself. A, that's what I do when I enter Eucharistic adoration anyway, and B chronic back trouble. <laughs> now, what do you do once you've genuflected and once you've sat in a pew? Well, that's kind of up to you. You are now in the presence of Jesus Christ. Some people read the Bible. Some people read other religious materials. I always say a rosary. I try to leave time to just be quiet before the Blessed Sacrament and listen to what Jesus is trying to tell me in my heart. And I'm going to confess it too. I always fall asleep at some point during this because I am <laughs> I'm turning into my dad. We all have the dad that sits on the couch, and as soon as the dad sits on the couch, boom, eyes closed, fall asleep. That's me. I'm that dad now. I used to make fun of my dad for doing it. Karma, biting me in the butt. Now I do it. Unfortunately, it's also happened to me during Eucharistic Adoration. Although one time I was having a spiritual crisis during the Eucharistic adoration, and I didn't fall asleep the entire time. I was attentive and waiting for an answer to my crisis. I feel like I got it, but I haven't implemented it because, you know, I'm an idiot. Anyway, what you do is up to you and how you feel would best be the use of that time. The time that most people spend, it's called a holy hour for a reason. It is uh, an hour, usually, um, in 
mentioned St. Joseph's Parish, which is a local per, uh, yeah, parish to me down in Maumee, Ohio. That has a uh, 24-7 Eucharistic Adoration Shrine. You are allowed to come in and sign up for one-hour increments only. So that is, you know, pretty much forced into the holy hour uh, there. Uh, my own parish has uh, the Blessed Sacrament exposed every Wednesday, so you can come in for as long or as short as you actually want, unless you, of course, are one of the actual people who are, you know, uh, ministering to it, then you need to be there for the time that you signed up for. So my own holy hours, I mentioned that, unfortunately, sometimes I do fall asleep during them. Um, you can, you know, get me, you can come at me in the comments for being sacrilegious if you want. Uh, typically, I start off with a rosary. Uh, cannot kneel the entire time. I just can't. I've tried. I really have, but I, I just cannot do it. Uh, the back trouble I mentioned earlier is is part of that, and so the uh, I'll do the introduction on the cross. I'll do the introduction from the crucifix up to the first mystery, and then the first decade is usually where I'm I'm out. And then in, starting with the second decade of that rosary, I got to sit down. And again, there's no prescribed posture for Eucharistic adoration. Whatever you feel reverent, and sometimes I will kneel again before I leave and say a small prayer that way. But my usual kickoff to the Eucharistic adoration is the uh, is the uh, is the rosary, and of course, an act of contrition always goes a long way. And another good one that I will do uh, usually at the opening of adoration is called "Down in Adoration Falling," and that goes like this: Down in adoration falling, lo, the sacred host we hail. Lo, o'er ancient forms departing, newer rites of grace prevail, faith for all defects supplying where the feeble senses fail. To the everlasting Father, the Son who reigns on high, with the Holy Spirit proceeding forth from each eternally, be salvation, honor, blessing, might, and endless majesty. You gave them bread from heaven, having all sweetness within it. Let us pray. O God, who under this wonderful sacrament has left us the memorial of your passion, grant us, we beseech you, so to venerate the sacred mysteries of your body and blood, that we may constantly experience within us the fruit of your redemption, who lives and reigns, world without end. Amen. Now, since I tie Eucharistic adoration very closely to the Sacred Heart devotion, an act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is also another good one to recite during the uh, Eucharistic Adoration. And this is kind of a longer one, so I'm not actually going to read it, but I but Google it, Act of Reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and actually I will put a link to it in the show notes so that you can get it, so that you can download it and print it for your next Eucharistic Adoration. Now these are suggestions of prayers that you can say and and. Uh, so forth. So, of course, what else can you do? I mean, you can offer intentions of your heart. You can just talk to Jesus. A lot of my best holy hours have been just spent talking. I sit and I just talk to Jesus in my head. I don't say the words out loud. There's usually other people there. I don't want them to think I'm crazy. I just talk to Jesus in my heart, in my head, and say what's on my mind and really think about 
uh, really focus on Jesus and just let Jesus be with me and me be with him. You know, as I've mentioned, a lot of people read during this holy hour. I'm no exception. I've also read scripture. I've also read a whole, I've also read the uh, uh, divine office during that time. But if someone came to your house and visited you and you they just read the entire time they were there, wouldn't you kind of think that was rude? Well, I should think Jesus would think the same way. You'd want to you want to spend your time with him. As I said, some of my most productive holy hours have just been talking to Jesus, raw, uncensored. I don't let myself I let myself say what's on my mind. If I'm mad, I'm mad. I want to I'm mad. I'm be mad. If I'm happy and and joyful, I'm that too. If I'm upset or contrite for sin, I let that show through. I just talk to Jesus as if he's my friend and I'm talk and I'm speaking to him. And I feel a lot closer than I ever did because I know that he's right there in the blessed sacrament. Well, full disclosure, when you visit one of my sponsors, St. Anne's, the Catholic Company, or Tan Books for this episode, you are going to help put a little bit of money in my pocket. I'm going to recommend one last resource to you from Word on Fire Ministries. You can check it out at wordonfire.com. Look for the book Eucharist by Bishop Robert Barron. Word on Fire does not take affiliate marketing sponsorships the way that the other companies that I talked about did. They kind of do their own little thing. I know I've looked into it. Um, so when I tell you to go get that book, I'm not getting any financial compensation for the book if you happen to go buy it. But I would recommend nonetheless that you check it out. Bishop Barron's book talks about the Eucharist as a meal. It talks about the Eucharist as a sacrifice. I think it's key to understanding Jesus's character and Jesus's place in our life to know that he is both priest and victim. And that was uh, central running through Bishop Barron's book. And then there's also another chapter uh, which is taken after author Flannery O'Connor's famous quip, if the Eucharist is a symbol, then to hell with it. And it talks about the folly of believing the Eucharist is merely a symbol of Jesus's body and blood, as opposed to the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. Well, that is all the time I have for the program today. I want to thank my sponsors, St. Anne's Helper, Tan Books, and the Catholic Company. And even though they're not a sponsor, still check out the book Eucharist by Bishop Robert Barron from Word on Fire Ministries. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Hopefully I'll see you next time, and God bless.